You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's bring in the popular Rick Stroud. I didn't think I'd be talking to Rick probably the rest of my life. He covers the Buccaneers for the Tampa Bay Times, host Sports Day Tampa Bay podcast. I think those were my last words to you, Rick. And here you are, just like Brady, you're back. If I would have asked you, if I would have asked you on Friday that Tom Brady is coming back or he's going to stay retired, what would you have said? Uh, retired. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, this whole thing is weird, man. I can't get used to the time change. It, like it's Jason light savings time right now. Right. I mean, uh, it, it's like 2020, like I woke up and, and they did it all over again. Right. They, they, they got remarried. Um, you know, there was always a chance, right? I mean, people I talked to close to Brady said, hey, give him, give him 90 days. Well, he only needed 40. Uh, and I don't think, you know, the timing is not coincidental. I mean, you know, we're starting at noon today, uh, a period where any team can reach a deal with any free agent from another team. And so, you know, Tom obviously wants to win. If he wants to win, uh, he's got to keep his guys in. We've already seen a deal done for Ryan Jensen. Um, which was probably a little bit of a savings. I think Jensen could have gotten $15 million a year. He comes back for $13 million um, and to play with Brady. And you're going to see a lot of signings, I think, uh, really in the next few hours even um, for the Bucks to, to retain as many of their guys as they can. And, um, of course, they got the draft and, and their own free agency to deal with. Are you more surprised that he retired or that he unretired? I think I was a little more surprised that he retired and, and it might have to do with why he's not retired now. And that is Dan, he was playing as good a football as he has ever played. I mean, uh, the tape shows it. The arm strength was certainly there. He led the league in passing, you know, 5,316 yards, 43 touchdowns. Hell, they should have won that last game. He brought him back, you know, down 24 or whatever it was. Uh, they tie it up with under a minute to go. And if not for some really bad defense down the stretch, you know, the Rams kick the field goal and win, but if the Bucs win that game, they're hosting San Francisco, right? And maybe they go on and win the Super Bowl. And I think Tom realized that, uh, and he said it, I mean, I don't know what unfinished business you could have, but but he's he's found some. And, and I think that he just felt like when he gets to September, he's going to know he should be playing football. And, you know, that decision needed to be made and it needed to be made, you know, before today. I wonder if he had won another Super Bowl this past year. Yeah. that that would have been the finality to this, that he's go- always going to have unfinished business unless he wins the Super Bowl. But then, you know, that's where you want to come back because you just won the Super Bowl. So it never <laughs> ends unless it's injury. But, you know, he's healthy. And that's what I wonder yeah. about how he comes up with the now I'm ready to retire. I, I don't know. And we, we talked about this when he did retire. You know, the, the great ones are always the ones that don't know when to leave the party. You know, the lights are on and the vacuum cleaners are going and they're still there at the bar. And, you know, Tom Brady can still sling it. You know, it, he can still do it. And he's taking a risk. Let's be honest. Um, you know, he could have walked away on top, maybe not after the confetti. I, I think the thought was they wouldn't win a Super Bowl in their first year, but maybe their second. And they kind of did it reverse. Right. Um, but the fact is, is that, you know, he could get hurt and we might, you know, God forbid he looks like Ben Roethlisberger at some point. I mean, these are all things we don't know what the last image of Tom Brady will be. We know what, you know, how he played in the final game against the Rams last year, but we don't know how this is going to go. And so he's taking a risk, um, but it's a calculated one. And I I think that he's pretty comfortable uh, knowing the landscape of the NFC, especially the NFC South 
they can absolutely win this division. Uh, but they have a brutal schedule. They play in Germany. They play a ton of playoff teams, Cincinnati, the Rams, um, you know, Baltimore, all these teams. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a tougher road this year. They go, you know, it, it's not going to be easy for them for sure. How does Brady coming back change the direction of this team? If Blaine Gabbard's the quarterback, what is the direction as opposed to Tom Brady? Um, downward. <laughs> I mean, nothing against Blaine what, Gabbard. Like but, a rebuild? I mean, yeah, well, yep, yeah, kind of. I, I mean, for sure. I think what they would have done, um, you know, look, I know they were in, it, in the talks for Deshaun Watson, but Bruce Arians, when I talked to him yesterday, said he, he just didn't think that was going to happen. Now, whether that's ownership or compensation, uh, he was not confident they were going to get Deshaun Watson. So they would have signed another free agent, you know, whether that's Teddy Bridgewater or somebody else to compete with Blaine and try to bring along Kyle Trask. I mean, they like Kyle Trask. He just simply hasn't played. He had a red shirt year last year um, and barely got to practice at times. And so uh, Kyle gets another another red shirt year. Maybe he, he progresses to be the backup. Uh, but I think, you know, it would have looked totally different. And, you know, and, and some of these players like Ryan Jensen may not have come back and Gronk wouldn't have come back. And, and so I think, it's a it's a big difference between rebuild and reload or remodel. You know, they were saying remodel. It was a rebuild. Uh, when, you, when you're talking about the quarterback position, I mean, look how many teams are looking for them. Um, you know, so, so from that standpoint, I think, I think they did the right thing here. If I gave you one question to ask to Brady, knowing that he would give you an honest answer. What was the tipping point? What, what was that moment, right, where you said, I have to play? Um, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about his family. Really, the offseason was just like it's always been. You know, he does a lot of traveling, spends a lot of time with family. There's a perception that, you know, Giselle wants him to quit. Maybe she does. Um, she's annoyed by that, from what I understand, by the way, that that's not the case, that, you know, she does not want to be the one um, to, you know, to tell Tom when, he, when he's supposed to end his career because he loves what he does. There's concern, obviously, but he loves what he does. So I would just want to know, what was that What was that clarity moment that you had? Were you watching TV? Did you, you know, did it annoy you when Russell Wilson went, you know, uh, from Seattle, you know, to Denver? I mean, like, what was that moment that made you say, yeah, you know what, I'm coming back because I know I can whip these guys' butts? Well, I guess I'll be seeing more of you, Rick, or you'll be seeing more <laughs> of us. But uh, thanks for joining us as always, bud. Hey, send me a T-shirt, man. You know, Which, I'd, I'd love to get one. What are the new What are the new slogans now? Uh, never say never. Never say never. Never like say it. never. Are, are you a large or extra large, Rick? Oh, I'm an extra large. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, all right. We'll uh, we'll take care of that. You need <laughs> TB12. Great. You need to get on the TB12 regimen. Hey, well now now I got a whole year to do it again. You know, like we had COVID, we had all these things, and uh, I got my call into Alex Guerrero, so I'm I'm ready to go, man. Thank you, Rick. That's uh, Rick Stroud. He covers the Buccaneers for the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter, lead content strategist, the Monday morning quarterback. I don't, there's no better, no, easier way to segue in, uh, Albert, unless you have something on Kanye West and I, Pete Davidson. No, I mean, look, I, I'm so out of the loop with Kanye West. I remember, I think this was a basketball game um, a couple months ago. 
there were pictures of Antonio Brown that came up and Kanye had that mask over him or whatever, like where <laughs> it was just like, looked like, I don't know, he looked like a mime or something, you know? And like immediately everybody's like, oh, AB's with Kanye. I'm like, how do you know that's Kanye? So like, I'm really, really out of the loop with Kanye West, but that's a hell of a comeback from Pete Davidson. I don't know how you respond to that one. But also didn't AB and Kanye express interest in buying the Denver Broncos? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we'll see how that goes for him. I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that's going to work. If I'm Kanye, I don't attach Antonio Brown to the possibility. Probably not the the way to go. (laughs) Like you might John Elway, Peyton Manning, you might want to get those people in on it, in on it as investors, you know, Antonio Brown, maybe not more surprised Tom Brady unretired or that he retired in the first place. Um, I would say more surprised that he'd retired in the first place. And, you know, I, I really think Dan, like now, like kind of like getting a global look at this, um, you know, I think either he was forced into making a decision back in January or he wanted it to look forced to buy himself more time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like either the news came in, coming out when Adam and Jeff had it right forced him to sort of push that thing along faster than he wanted to push it along or, and that is just a conspiracy theory of mine. He wanted it to look forced. He wanted it to look like he was pushed into it. So people would leave him alone for five or six weeks and then he could actually sort of let the rest of it play out. So, you know, like that number 45 has been a magic number for him for a while. It's not an arbitrary number. It's a number he and Tom House, his throwing coach, had come up with a long time ago because that's how long Nolan Ryan pitched, and he believed he could make it to 45. I don't think his love for football has waned. I don't think that he thinks that he's lost much off his fastball. Um, And I think as much as anything else, Dan, this came down to where he was going to play, what team he was going to play for in 2022. But I don't know that like he ever fully detached from the idea of playing, even when he announced his retirement. And like he left breadcrumbs all over the freaking place. <laughs> I mean, it was like what five days after he announced his retirement that he's telling Jim Gray, ah, who knows? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you never say never. Yeah. And that's not the things, those aren't the things you say if you've really kind of come to peace with the idea that you're walking away from football. But you think it's just Tampa, that that there's no chance that he's – because they're making moves now that they might not have made yeah. if Blaine Gabbert no. was going to be the quarterback here. You think that if Tom's playing, it's Tampa and no chance with the 49ers? I mean, I think that he had an interest in the 49ers. I also think the 49ers, you know, had an interest in him. Um, I think maybe this is more with him coming to peace with the fact that the Bucks weren't going to let him go anywhere, you know? And that doesn't mean he didn't want to play for the Bucs, but, you know, I think, like, I think the timing of this, you know, obviously is to set up with the beginning of the league year. The Bucs have a boatload of free agents. Now, they took care of Ryan Jensen last night, but that's just the start. I mean, Alex Kappa, Jason Pierre-Paul, Rob Gronkowski, Carlton Davis. Um, you can go right on down the line. Leonard Fournette. There are a ton of guys that are free agents. And Dominican Sue. So, you know, I think Brady knew that if he was going to make a decision and if the Bucs were going to hold him to his contract and his option to play in 2022 was going to be in Tampa and nowhere else, he had to make this decision now. So some of those free agents 
would know the landscape and then maybe make the decision to come back based on the fact that he's there. Whereas if he's not there and you're say like an Alex Kappa or a Carlton Davis or one of these guys who's looking for his first real big payday as an NFL player, you're probably just going to go to the highest bidder. We're talking Albert Breer. You can read the Monday morning quarterback. He's a senior NFL reporter. Deshaun Watson with what happened Mm -hmm. on Friday and then what could happen tomorrow. Uh, What's his future, immediate future or this season in the NFL? I think like from the league standpoint, we still don't have full clarity on that because they still could levy a suspension. Now, you know, I've heard the argument is that time served, you know, he spent a year not playing, Um, you know, he was paid during that year. So like, I think that there is a little bit of gray area there, but I do think that there's a, a good amount of teams that are comfortable with where this is right now after the grand jury made its decision um, not to move forward with, with criminal charges. Um, and I can tell you this too, Dan, there are a handful of teams. I mean, every team that's had an interest in him, right. Has had its security people on this and those security people for people don't know that's ex law enforcement that these teams employ. Um, those people have been following this for the last year. So it's not like teams just started doing homework. I'm also told that a smaller number of teams had private investigators they employed on the ground in Houston over the last year. So there are a couple teams there that are hitting the ground running now that know everything about this case and that are well aware of where the civil cases stand. Um, They have their own opinions on how all that went down. And I mean, I think you can see with the aggression of teams like the Saints and the Panthers that like not only is this, you know, not only is that interest there because he's a 26-year-old franchise quarterback who led the league in passing in 2022 or in 2020, who is under contract for the next four years, which is about as valuable a commodity as as there is in, in, in pro football they've also come to a comfort level with the off-field stuff. And that's not to minimize any of the stuff that Deshaun was accused of, but there are a lot of teams that have done a lot of homework on this. And, and I think you can see which ones are in a good place as far as you know, having their owners, which is an important piece of this, on board with making a run at Deshaun Watson. But is this one fell swoop, a big, big check that he's going to have to write for these women, assuming? I think there's a... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a chance that happens now. You know, my understanding was a while back, there was like, you know, an affordable settlement offer made to Deshaun Watson that he walked away from. At one point, I know he had resolved to, you know, tr- you know, let these things play out and try to prove his innocence. Now, like, do I think he's still thinking that way when he's so close to going to a new team when maybe that new team says, before we trade for you, we need you to settle all of your, 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 your lawsuits. Yeah. I think it's possible that, you know, that, that however a trade goes down, it leads to the settlement of these lawsuits Um, because, you know, I think Deshaun Watson probably wants to move on right now. Um, You know, but like, I think there've been opportunities to do that, to settle all of these over the last year. And Watson has been resistant to that. So I don't know that it's a slam dunk that he necessarily does it. I think if it makes sense for him and helps him move on from a football standpoint, maybe he would. Wait, Saints, Panthers, are they at the head of the class here for Deshaun Watson? Anybody else you throw in there? Saints, Panthers, Cleveland. I, I've been mentioning them for like for a year on Deshaun. I know, I, I know. I really think 
Cleveland wants to take a swing here because if you look at their roster, again, a lot of guys in the, the heart of the prime of their careers. Um, I think Philly, you know, I think Philly is another team that, that, that everybody should just at least keep an eye on Seattle. They take a swing. Um, the Panthers, I think have been, you know, clearly the most aggressive team over the last year. They made an offer to the Texans um, before the, before the lawsuits were filed last year. So they were involved before all of that. Um, you know, and then the Saints, you know, even when Sean Payton was there, they were at least sniffing around and keeping an eye on it. So those are the five teams that sort of stick out to me. And, you know, I think the other the other interesting thing about this is, you know, Texans GM Nick Casario took a lot of slings and arrows for not trading him, you know, in March and in April, and then again in the summer, and then again before the trade deadline. It looks like being patient and letting this thing play out could pay off in a spectacular way for Casario. Um, you know, last year before the lawsuits were filed, I can tell you this, Dan, at one point, like, like I know he had, you know, offers of three first round picks. Now at that point he was resolved to keeping Watson on his roster, right? The lawsuits made him, you know, soften his stance on that. But the fact that he could get back to where the T the Texans were, you know, from a capital standpoint, um, in January and February of last year when they were unwilling to trade for him, I think shows you that the, the patience that Casario showed over the course of the last year probably is about to pay off. Devontae Adams says he's not going to play for the franchise tag in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. I, we still don't know the, the, the real structure of Aaron Rodgers' yeah. contract here. Um, I, I don't know if that factors in if Aaron is able to structure a deal that is going to include Devontae Adams as yeah. you know, a guy more than just on a franchise tag. Yeah, I, I think it's like there's only so much you can do from a con- contractual standpoint to create space. And I think Aaron Rodgers will do as much as he can um, whenever that new contract is signed. Will do as much as he can to create space for the Packers. Doesn't mean he's going to take less cash, but um, you know, like I, I think he'll do as much as he can, and the Packers are going to do what the Buccaneers did um, over the last couple of years and mortgaging deals put tacking phony years on the back of contracts and creating like a two to three year window in which they can win. And so I think they're going to be able to create the sort of space they're going to need to do Devonte Adams. What's tricky about Devonte Adams contract. This is a little bit like back in the day when Calvin Johnson's contract was a real outlier. There's a contract out there. That's a real outlier at receiver now too. And that's the one that Deandre Hopkins did in Arizona which on paper is a $27 million per year deal. But if you look at the structure of it, it isn't really that. So the question is, you know, does Devontae Adams look more at where the market has been, which is around 20, 21, $22 million, and he's okay with that? Or is he shooting to get where Hopkins got? And I think, you know, I think, you know, over time, cooler heads will prevail and, you know, they'll find a middle ground and Devontae Adams will get taken care of because he's so important to Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. But this is a more complicated negotiation than I think a lot of people realize because there is that big outlier contract at that position. If there's a uh, business of football Hall of Fame, Kirk Cousins is the first ballot <laughs> member of that. Uh, Darrell Revis would be in there as well. Kirk Cousins. Don't forget Chase Daniel. Oh, yeah. Kirk, Kirk Cousins has a 500 record as a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. He's 59-59-2. He's made $231 million with very little to show for 
as far mm-hmm. as playoffs, big-time victories there. It felt like the Vikings were stuck here. You got a new yeah. new coach and a new GM, but you're sticking with Kirk Cousins. Why? Well, and that's well. I mean, for one thing, let's let's start here. I mean, I mean, I think anybody who's been part of a contract negotiation had a contract negotiated for them. I've been there. I know you've been there. Dan knows. Like, it's really about leverage, not how good you are. You know, in almost all contract negotiations, that's where it is. Now, how good you are is part of it. You know, but that that that's only works to create leverage. And so like, you know, I, Kirk is unique in that he was willing to play on consecutive franchise tags that made him a free agent quarterbacks, never become free agents. That's why he is where he is. Here's what I would say about the Vikings decision-making on it and why I don't hate it. Guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen don't fall out of the sky. And like, would we have, would we have criticized Andy Reed nine years ago in the current environment for trading for Alex Smith when he got to Kansas city? Andy Reid that year looked at the draft, right, and saw EJ Manuel and Geno Smith and Matt Barkley and said, you know what, hell with that. Like, let's go get an established guy so we can compete right away. And Alex Smith was his quarterback there for five years. And you know what Alex Smith did? Alex Smith bought him time to find Patrick Mahomes and bought him time to build it up. So when they went and found the guy that they really loved, stuck their neck out to go get him, that guy was entering into a situation that was already built up and ready to go. And that's what what I think the Vikings are doing with Kirk Cousins. It's we have a quarterback we can win with. Now the head coach, Kevin O'Connell worked with him in Washington and we can continue to build the team up and we can be patient and wait for the guy that we really love at quarterback and win with Kirk in the time being. And then whenever we find that guy down the line, if we can go get him, we'll be able to put him in a situation that's already built up around him. And so I think the Kansas city example, both with like Minnesota and and Kirk cousins, like Vegas and Derek Carr, I think the Kansas, how Kansas city did it with Alex Smith can be instructive to everybody because it shows you can do, you can serve both masters. You can get good at the position and stay good at the position and use it as a vehicle to eventually become great. Albert, great to talk to you as always. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. That's Albert Breer, senior NFL reporter, lead content strategist, the Monday morning quarterback. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it. You listen to it. I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seth Greenberg from the Mothership Basketball Analyst joins us on the program. Seth, were you bothered by Tom Brady maybe uh, hijacking Selection Sunday yesterday? I just figured he wanted to take some pressure off Michigan being an 11 seed, so <laughs> I understood this. He had, you know, Tom Brady, everything he does has a purpose. You know, we want to take care of Juwan Howard to kind of take a little pressure mm. off him. Mm. They made it into the tournament, so he decided to make the announcement that 
Uh, look, he could have waited a week, but you know, those type of things, you know, Dan, those, you can't hide those things. Someone would have broken it, and he wanted to control the narrative. So Phyllis, on the other hand, was not happy. Really? Yeah, he was not happy. You know, I mean, like, this is our next three weeks. I mean, this is, this is our Super Bowl <laughs> for the next three weeks. And, well, you know, in the middle of it, we got Shefty on our bracketology show. <laughs> Again, another, another Michigan guy, and that's why I say it's a conspiracy. Wow. I mean, Brady makes his announcement, and another Michigan guy jumps in. All of a sudden, people don't realize that Michigan's at 11, and life is good. I, well, Billis is always upset at something, so I understand that. But, yeah, he – Tom Brady ruining the big day for for Jay Billis. Do your neighbors ask for advice when they fill out their brackets? My neighbors, my daughters, my former players, uh, yeah, people. And then and then when you're wrong, by the way, <laughs> they kill you. They absolutely. You know, and I let you know. You know what my favorite thing is today. You go through this because you know with social media and everything. Like I picked Alabama to lose to Rutgers, the winner of the play game. So because of that, because of that, that's why you don't have a coaching job. Because you don't know that Alabama's going to win. I said, okay, that's all right. I, I understand that. Whatever you say. I mean, like, like you're going to make half the people happy, half the people are going to be upset when you make a pick. And if I really knew the answer, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be in Vegas and then walking over to my yacht. All right, the top four seeds, any problem? No, I, I think Tennessee, you know, again, a, a lot of people – disagree but i think tennessee with the win in the sec tournament kind of played their way into a number one i think some guys played their way out i look at baylor and you know what baylor has had a, an incredible year but without jonathan chama chachua without lj crier if you look at their team in this moment in time not what they did when they won i think their first 15 games their team in this moment in time isn't the number one seed not saying they're not a good team because they're a very good team tennessee how they played, the teams they beat, whether it's Kentucky twice, whether it's Arizona, whether it's Auburn, I think they might have earned their way to a one. I would say I was wrong. You know, if you're of a certain age, you don't look at Gonzaga as that cute little program somewhere in Washington, you know, that that it was maybe 20, 25 years ago. Now you look at them as like they're one of the powerhouses in college basketball. When did it change, do you think, the – national perception of Gonzaga from being that cute little school to you got to knock them off. They're great. They're as blue blood as any team in the last 10 years. I mean, I think if someone gave me a stat, they've won more NCAA tournaments in the last 10 years games than, than anyone in the country. I mean, think about that. And it's changed everything they've done, Dan, because I mean, like you see the guys they're recruiting. Yeah. I mean, they're recruiting dudes. I mean, they're recruiting. They're beating North Carolina for players. They're beating Kentucky for players. Uh, their roster is as good as any roster in the country. Now, I tell you the one thing they have done. They've they've still been able to keep uh, their culture, their environment, uh, their identity of more of outside the main line. Uh, but but in terms of their program. Uh, you can't deny it. They do what they have to do in a non-conference. They play a great schedule, and then they go, they, they basically. They're off the radar for, you know, two months playing in the West Coast Conference, which was better this year, but they're still off the radar playing, you know, for two months. But uh, Gonzaga is the blue blood. I mean, that's just the way it is. Just like Villanova is the blue blood. Gonzaga is the only team to make the Sweet 16 in each of the last six tournaments. So that's good. It, it shouldn't come as a surprise that, you know, they're there. This team might be better than last year's team. Yeah, in relation to the field, it is. Yeah. 
Like, okay. This team's better in relation to the field. Because the field last year, like Baylor, it's funny. I talked to Mark Few in the middle of last season, and I, you know, I said, oh, look, your team's playing really well, blah, blah, blah. He, he, he gave me this answer. We're not Baylor. That was last year. Because Baylor could dominate you in the backcourt. They, they, they had a physicality, a toughness, you know, Mitchell and, 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 and Butler. I mean, they were just so tough. Uh, there's no Baylor out there this year. So in relation to the field, they might be better. They have better rim protection. Chet Holmgren obviously gives them better rim protection. Timmy's a year older, doesn't have to do as much. Obviously, they don't have the guard, but Andrew Nebhardt's playing well. Uh, but there are other teams. Like, that team in Arizona might, might be Baylor. I don't know if they are defensively on, in the backcourt, but, like, Arizona's Baylor uh, is Gonzaga 2.0. With Coloco's development as a rim protector and a, a front court guy that can move his feet, Matherin and and Dale and Terry are really good. You know, I, I think Arizona right now is playing the best basketball anyone in the country. Six of Arizona's top seven scores this season are from Canada, Lithuania, Cameroon, Estonia, Mali, and Sweden. What do you make of yeah. being able to recruit those kind of players? All over the world. Well, I mean, Tommy Lloyd, he's the perfect guy to coach that group. you got to remember now, Sean Miller did a great job of bringing those guys in. He left those guys. Now, Tommy Lloyd had to re-recruit them uh, because those guys could have all left and been eligible immediately. So mm. when he came in, he was the right guy to hire because you think about it, he had so much experience with international recruiting. He had such a great network with international recruiting. So, you know, he goes and he, and he re-recruits them and they all come back. And then he puts them in a system that is conducive to their skill set. But Look, that's the game. Our game is an international game. Uh, and they be- they will become, just like Gonzaga became, a destination for the best international players. And, uh, you know, to me, that that's a huge asset because now you're not banging heads with Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and North Carolina for those kids because to those kids, you are Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and, and Kansas uh, and because that's the perception they have overseas. And, you know, recruiting like, is like Hamilton. you got to have someone in the room where it happens. And Gonzaga, because of the success they've had with kids internationally, they have someone in the room where it happens when decisions are being made. We're talking to Seth Greenberg, ESPN College basketball analyst. Uh, best pro prospect in the tournament is? I'm going to go outside the box. I mean, I, I've been vacillated on this for a while, but right now I'm leaning towards Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray at Iowa is a bucket. He gets off the bus, he drops 25. Look, in the new NBA, because of his size, he's 6'9". Could he lead Iowa to a Kemba-type run? Different kind of game. Mm. Knocks down threes at 43%. Can really defend. Very good passer. Can put it on the floor. Can play in the post. Can defend one through four. Uh, I think that he would be my first pick. I think Jaden Ivey would be my second part. John Morant, part Russell Westbrook on a good day. And then Jabari Smith would be my third. I have, I have Paul Bancaro down the road. Like, I, like Paul Bancaro came in with all this hype, and Duke has had a lot of hype during the course of the season. Duke doesn't have an identity defensively right now. They're not turning people over. Offensively, they got a lot of good players, but they, it's almost like a little kid has a lot of toys for Christmas, doesn't know which one to play with. Uh, but Bancaro, he shows it to you, but he doesn't show it to you like the whole game. He doesn't show it to you at the end of the game. He doesn't like – you look at him, and I'm saying, he's really good. Could he be Jabari Parker? Could he be Scott Williams? Like, I want, I want, if I want to take a pick in the first three, a guy in the first three picks, I want it to be a guy that just, you know, that doesn't defer, that wants to take over a game. Yeah. 
He does disappear. And uh, yeah. And I always look at when it gets tighter, do you get larger? Do you, you know, yeah. that's, that's what I always look for. It's some guys have alligator arms. They don't want the ball. And you know, yeah. this coaching yeah. and, and you, you want that guy who says, give me the ball. Like I, yep. I was watching Durant yesterday, you know, closing time against the Knicks. He was going to the, I want the ball. I, I, I want the yep. shot. I want you to foul me. I, those are the things that I gravitate towards. And I, I love seeing that mentality. I totally agree. I mean, like, think about it. You think Kobe's going to defer? You think Magic's going to defer? You think Bird's going to defer? You think LeBron's going to defer? Not anymore. Yeah, he doesn't have anything to defer to right now. Uh, so, I mean, you you look at the best players in the history of the game, especially in a college game. Man, you want, it. you want like, games online. Give me the ball. Let's go. I'll make a play. And if they double me, I'll kick it out. Now, part of it is, and this is my belief, and I don't know about the end of a game, you got to have understanding of who you want to get get the ball to, where you want to get them the ball, and how you're going to get them the ball. The best teams, that's what they do at the end of a game. I'm not sure Duke knows where they want to get them the ball and how they want to get them the ball. And if they're going to win the national championship, they better figure that out in the next week. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see him as I don't see him as a national champion. You see how they played against Syracuse? Yeah, I mean, without Buddy Beheim. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what, Jim did a great job coaching against Duke. Oh. I mean, the what fact that job. that game was up in the air and then you come back and then you're thinking, all right, they're going to they're going to breeze through the ACC like they're going to win this thing. And then Virginia Tech, you're all Yeah, they roughed them up. They not roughed... my alma mater. Well, they're no. not paying me anymore. They're, they're not paying me anymore. <laughs> I mean, although I, I am a I am a big Mike Young fan. I think he's a great guy and he's done a great job. And uh, I'm really I actually trained text messages with him today. I'm really happy for him. That team lost like seven out of nine. The hardest thing to do in coaching, as you know, is to get a team back when they're struggling. To me, that's the essence of coaching. Keep your team to come to practice every day to get better every day. And that's what that team did. I was really happy for them. Give me, well, give this audience a team to keep an eye on where you go. All right. If, if, if everything goes right, this team will do some damage. Well, I, I like Iowa and that that's not a really reach. I think that Virginia tech can win a couple of games in, in the tournament. Uh, I think that uh, Texas tech, could be a team if they get to Gonzaga, their, their, their ability to keep the ball on one side of the floor and be really physical. If they let them play, that's going to be a team that can, can, can do some damage for sure. I think all this, here's my, here's my big takeaway. Six, 11 games. I got all the 11s, mm. all of them okay. across the board, okay. six, 11. And then I have, I have uh, Miami beating USC in the, in the seven ten. Okay. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. And uh, always great yeah, to talk to you. you. Yeah. You know. Thanks for having me. I appreciate and, and, it. And I'm not going to blame you when you're wrong. Okay. Because usually what happens is you don't get credit when you're right. It's just you get blamed when you're wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just set me an Odyssey putter. I will be fine. Odyssey putter. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, bud. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate That's, it. That's uh, Seth Greenberg, ESPN College basketball analyst there. 